Welcome to Think Like a Penguin, The Art of Flying. This is the podcast to help you think outside the box, live more confidently against the grain and become your more authentic self. Penguins don't traditionally fly, but what's to say they won't one day? Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back. This episode is all about love, self-love, and why some people choose to love themselves and act kind of being guided by the notion of self-love. Um, and the, the self-love becomes their sort of map for how they approach life versus self-hatred. So we're all on a spectrum. We all fit on a scale of um, some people love themselves. And I'm not meaning in an egotistical, kind of narcissistic way but I'm meaning in a genuine self-respect acceptance of the self and a kindness to the self that 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 would be an optimum kind of level of self-love to have kindness acceptance and respect for oneself versus self-hate where someone intentionally or unintentionally does actions and behaviors that harm their physical mental um, well-being or their self. So this is quite a deep, complex topic. I will just start by saying I'm not a qualified psychologist. I do have experience, lived experience, and I also am a life coach and an art therapist. And I also feel like there's probably going to be a few topics that will come up that might be quite triggering. So please listen with care. But I do think it's really important. I have had this question for many, many, many years that I've tried to answer in order to help myself, but in order also to help my clients is, this is the question. Why do some people fundamentally have more self-love and others fundamentally have more self-hate? Why is it that some people genuinely love the person they are and can connect to their authentic self with respect and kindness, and others go through life hating who they are and they don't like who they are, or they've never even really connected to themselves in an authentic way, and they live a life that isn't true to who they are authentically because either they don't know who they are or they just don't like the version of themselves. Um, I've asked this of clients, I've asked this of very wise people in my life, I've asked this of myself, I've googled it, why do people love themselves and some people hate themselves? I believe, and this is quite a strong, bold statement, but I believe that if you love yourself, fundamentally you will then create and live a healthy, happy life, because all of your choices will be directed by that guide of self-love so that kind of steers the the ship and I can speak from personal experience Um, I certainly loved myself as a child I didn't have the awareness wisdom or self-knowledge to kind of know that I loved myself or didn't love myself but most kids love themselves unless there's some sort of trauma which we'll get onto later then I went through a period of absolute self-loathing. I hated myself. I wanted to end my life. I tried to end my life. Thankfully, I was unsuccessful. Um, categorically hated the person that I was. And then I have now reached a stage where I can genuinely say I love myself again. So for me, 
understanding how that's possible, why I have overcome um, that cycle of self-love, self-hate, self-love, and how I've done it. So I do believe most people, and this might come across as a bit of a judgment, but most people don't have the awareness, unless I asked you, and maybe have a think about it now, you don't go around in your everyday thinking, do I love myself or do I hate myself? But I do think that it's helpful to ask that question. And if you're not sure, a really good way to kind of figure it out is the actions that I do, the thoughts that I have, the way that I internally speak to myself, the behaviours that I carry out, do they come from a place of love or hate? For instance, I'll bring it back to my personal experience. I stopped eating enough food, I started over-exercising, I started self-harming, I started physically hurting myself, I started torturing myself, I started tying myself up to sleep, I deprived myself of human needs, um, shelter, food, love, all these things, um, clearly those are acts of self-hate. Now, I, I certainly allow myself all the things, so um, warmth, food, love, um, company, comfort, pets, you can probably hear my cat annoyingly meowing in the background. I surround myself um, and nurture myself with um, loving acts and loving behaviours. So if, for instance, you look in the mirror and your first thought is to criticise something you see about yourself physically, that is an act, I would say, of self-hate. Maybe not so strong as to hate yourself, but it's certainly not a kind thing to say to yourself. If you are able to look in the mirror and smile at your reflection and just be really um, proud that you got up early and you went for a walk at the beach or just happy at the person smiling back at you, exactly the same situation, but that would be probably more um, a, a mark of self-love because you're able to genuinely smile at the person looking back at you. So a lot of the time people have asked me, how on earth did you overcome your eating disorder, uh, depression, suicidal tendencies? That is a question that I can answer practically. So practically, I know how I overcame it. I started eating more. I started um, exercising less. I started giving myself physical um, things that I needed, warmth. I tried to um, well, I didn't try, but I often would pass out from hypothermia because I wouldn't wear enough clothes and things because of the, um, I, I believed that if I was cold, I would lose more weight because I'd be burning more calories, things like that. So how I overcame it, I can, un I can understand, I can very much talk about. But for me, the fascination is why. Why did I go from wanting to end my life to now loving my life and loving me, loving the person that is in my life. So I do, I do distinguish that you can love a lifestyle, but that doesn't necessarily mean you love yourself in that lifestyle. Equally, I hated, hated my lifestyle when I was in hospital. I hated the life that I was living when I was recovering. But there was a period there of crossover where I loved myself within that life that I hated. So 
for some people, and I am bouncing around a little bit here and apologies, and I hope it's not confusing. Some people will hate their life, but they will love themselves. And so in, in loving themselves, they will be able to make changes, find resilience, find strength, and tweak the life that they are living in. Obviously, if you're in a traumatic situation, if you're in a war zone, if you are in a negative relationship, if you don't have um, warm clothes and, and heat, if you don't have food, you can hate your life, but you can love your, yourself enough to make the changes. Um, some people are very affluent, very materialistically um, privileged, might have a wonderful lifestyle on paper, but don't like themselves in it. And I do think that that's a great shame and not uncommon. So let's start, I think, at the beginning of why do some people, and this is sort of um, an equation or a question, a hypothesis, I guess, that I'm trying to figure out whilst just talking about it. I don't have the exact answer, but why do some people fundamentally love themselves and other people fundamentally hate themselves. I believe that it stems from childhood, like so much of our informed um, behaviours and belief systems. They are, the foundation is set at childhood. And children typically are the centre of their world. So every child is actually quite narcissistic. And that is a survival mechanism, but it's also because the psyche is still developing. So they tend to think that the world revolves around them and they've got a very narrow view of the world and they are in the absolute centre of it. It's only later in life that we realise that we are the centre of a world, but not necessarily the world does not revolve around us. Um, so this means that when there's something wrong, they tend to think that somehow they are related. It's not egotistical, it's just that they are the centre of the world because they are the centre of their world, and their world is all they know. That's the only sort of level of comprehension of psyche that they have. That then they um, think that they are directly responsible for any trauma that happens, any problems, any pain, any change, any scariness. So if a child is in a unhappy family dynamic, I'm going to speak from experience, uh, my parents separated, there's a big chance that that child will assume that the separation or the um, unsettled environment at home is because of them. So they take the blame on themselves. They own that. So when you are a child in a traumatic situation, you start to self-blame. And there's six ways that self-blame shows up. And this will link directly into later in life if these behaviours and these ways that show up with your self-blame aren't addressed, then you'll take it into adolescence and you'll take it into adulthood and you'll continue living a life of self-blame which turns into self-hatred. So toxic self-criticism, constantly being the victim, constantly talking yourself down, constantly um, blaming yourself, putting yourself... Um, in a negative place with your self-talk, the way you internally talk to yourself. And this is on a sort of belief level. So not just uh, mumbling to yourself that you don't like yourself. You, to your core, believe that you are um, the reason for a problem or a trauma that has occurred. 
Black and white thinking. So this is a coping strategy. Black and white thinking means that you find it very hard to empathize or rationalize or um, see another person's perspective, again, essentially empathy. Um, black and white thinking enables you to compartmentalize and sort of understand in a very simple way trauma a bit more effectively. So although it's not great for interactions later in life, um, as, as a child and when you're dealing with something traumatic, by putting it into very simple black and white thoughts, it is a coping strategy to try and help you to um, accept the blame, own it, and then compartmentalize and move on. But it doesn't really solve usually the deeper issues. Chronic self-doubt. So I have to admit, and this is a bit of a nasty trait of mine, I now know that I'm much more understanding of human behavior but I get so frustrated when people aren't confident. I get so frustrated when people, I see potential in them and they hold themselves back. And that is because they haven't had the support um, and the right conditions by which to believe in themselves. So if something traumatic has happened, let's continue with the narrative of a divorce. That child thinks that they are to blame and then they um, go into life or adolescence thinking, I am a problem all the time. I'm the one that causes trauma and drama and issues. Therefore, I will probably do that again. So I'll just hold myself back. And this is all on a subconscious level, unless you have a deep sense of self-awareness and you've done a lot of self-work. But a lot of people that have self-doubt it will probably stem from a time when something went wrong or um, something occurred around them that might not have actually ever been their fault, but they just happened to be in the situation when something uh, went wrong. And they attributed that on a subconscious level as being their fault. And then let's play it safe the rest of life. So therefore nothing else will ever go wrong. And I will never have to feel that I have caused a problem. So self-doubt, crippling confidence, um, can be a trauma response. Interestingly, just going off on a tangent, I watched a programme yesterday where three state school students went to a private school and then um, the opposite. So the private school students went to a state school. And essentially, the programme proved that at private school, the narrative is you can achieve. There's constant confirmation of their ability there's constant confirmation of um, building up their self-esteem there's exposure to other successful people so they can see like for like they can be inspired by the people around them the narrative is you can do this and there's ample opportunity to try things and so they grow in confidence just through exposure the same students um same year group same kind of academic ability who are at the state school, their narrative generally was life's hard, you're going to struggle, you're probably not going to succeed, um, let's be realistic, you're coming from this background. So the schooling was actually very similar, but the only fundamental difference was the amount of support that they received through confidence and through positive feedback or the opposite. So yesterday I did a painting workshop with some youth for the city of Canning 
And one of the guys, I was like, what are you going to do? What, what, what's up for you? Um, you know, what's your plans looking forward? I know he's in his early 20s. And so he's obviously too old for school. And he said, oh, I'd, well, nothing. And I asked him why, and we dug a bit deeper. And essentially, he said that he doesn't have a single person or he doesn't have a single memory of anyone ever saying he can do it. So he's gone through his whole life being told he is useless, he's a failure, he won't be able to do it. He doesn't have the support network. The positive messages that you can get from a, a good school where they build up your confidence need to be replicated at home as well. Um, I had a very strange upbringing whereby it seemed like the method of encouragement was to put us down or point out all of our flaws um, and figure out everything that was wrong, focus on that, and then maybe we can improve that. I have no doubt that that led to my, um, partly led to my eating disorder. I'm pretty sure if the focus was on the positive and the encouragement, it's not lying, it's not not fabricating um, someone's ability, but it is focusing, shifting the focus to building someone up rather than trying to build them up by focusing on the negative, which even saying that sounds ridiculous, but that was my upbringing. So this kid yesterday said that he had never, ever experienced anyone having belief in him. And I was the first person to even talk about options and say, well, you could do that. You're totally capable and you've got the skill and you've got the passion and, you know, you can leverage off people and, and, heartbreaking actually that he has never had a conversation where someone has given him the confidence so I have no doubt that he probably won't get a job he probably won't um, fulfill a passion with his art Um, certainly not in a career sense because I can tell he is crippled with self-doubt and no doubt that is from a place of trauma in his life so that was number three of six ways that self-blame show up. I don't know if I said it at the start, but self-blame, if unresolved, leads to self-hate. Self-hate is a very strong, hate is a very, very strong word. Obviously, there's a scale on this, but if you have any element of self-blame, that will show up in a toxic way of disliking oneself, holding oneself back, um, essentially not helping towards loving yourself. So we have toxic self-criticism, internal negative um, language to yourself. Black and white thinking, so an inability to really get to the nitty-gritty and resolve things by compartmentalizing. Chronic self-doubt, holding yourself back, lack of confidence, that shows up a lot. Poor self-care and self-harm. Poor self-care is obviously on the very kind of um, soft end of self-harm, but poor self-care can lead to self-harm. So poor self-care could be not eating um, healthy foods because you don't feel like you deserve or um, are worthy of a salad. It could just be you know that it's going to make you feel crap but you're going to eat it anyway or it could be that you um, don't even think that you deserve or need nutrients Um, The kids last night were talking about going to McDonald's and I said how I've never actually eaten a full McDonald's meal because 
to me, it's not even food. Um, I suspect they're not even aware that that it's not very nutritionally con, uh, haven't got good nutritional content. But there was fruit available, and um, a couple of the kids were like, "Oh no, I'm not eating that." And I asked them why, and they said, "Oh, it's gross." I said, "But it's actually health. That's that's gifting yourself." And they'd never thought of it like that. Um, I don't want to just stick with food. It can be just not showering. It can be not presenting yourself in a nice way. It could be you, you've you um, grown out of your shoes as a kid or even as an adult, you know, your soul's falling off your shoe and um, you get a bad back because your heel's worn down and it's on an angle and you just won't give you, gift yourself a pair of shoes, but you'll certainly get your kids' pairs of shoes or your partner or whatever. Um, that sort of poor self-care, it might be that you've got... Um, a skin condition or a runny nose or you've got a yeah could be a back pain and if your kid was feeling the same you'd help them but you just think oh it doesn't matter actually saying oh it doesn't matter and putting someone else you care about first or if you would treat someone you love differently to how you would treat yourself with the same condition that's pretty much unfortunately a sign of poor self-care so um that can lead to self-harm. Self-harm can be present can present in many different ways, obviously physically um, causing harm to your body, so cutting your skin or um, uh, causing damage, um, being violent towards your skin. But other there's so many other forms of self-harm, drinking excessively, you're putting a poison in yourself intentionally to numb emotional pain, but we all know that um, drinking excessively is harming the liver, harming the body. It could be, um, what else could it be? Oh, there's so there's so many ways um, to self-harm. It could be starving yourself because you're trying to um, remain on some sort of fad diet. Um, it could be not getting enough sleep, just working yourself into the ground because it's easier to work and be busy and mentally distracted than it is to sit in discomfort. Um, Self-harm is anything that you're doing that is not optimally adding to your well-being. It could be as simple as depriving yourself of time to yourself. If you've got a busy schedule, you've got family, you've got children, you've got people that rely on you and you know or maybe you don't know, but you absolutely need that you should have um, a, like an hour to yourself or a spa weekend or a walk in the hills and you don't give that to yourself, that's that's self-harm. Because you, you're not giving yourself what you need to be your best self. Sounds quite drastic, self-harm, um, but I do believe that if you're not giving yourself even the bare minimum, imagine your deepest loved one or your child dealing with the same thing how would you respond to them versus how are you responding to yourself in the same situation if they don't align chances are you're not giving yourself proper care or you're self-harming um the fifth one is that the way that self-blame shows up is unsatisfactory relationships this is very complex. I'm not a relationship counsellor, um, but 
I'm sure we all know people, possibly even ourselves, that are in relationships that are toxic, unhelpful, dangerous, lonely, unfulfilling. Um, Often we feel like because we have some sort of guilt around life around ourselves because we've we haven't resolved self-blame that we probably weren't responsible for the thing we're blaming ourselves for in the first place um then we feel like we don't deserve a happy relationship or this is kind of a punishment that we somehow need to stay in to fulfill the level of guilt that we have um very complex i'm not actually going to go into it but it is worth noting that If you are feeling guilty and you have self-blame, the chances are you're going to end up in unhealthy relationships, not just intimate relationships, but with friendships, family, things like that. Worth noting, before I say the last one, that if self-blame occurs as a child and it is not resolved, you will take on that self-blame and carry that forward for the rest of time. So we have to address what it is that we feel guilty for, what we are blaming ourselves for as a child and let it go and release ourselves of that blame in order to then progress forward and live a life of self-love. I Don't worry, I will be getting on to how we love ourselves and how we can change from living a life informed by self-hate versus um, towards self-love. But You have got to go back and forgive yourself as a child or as an adolescent or any time in your life. You have to learn to forgive yourself, to release yourself of the grip of guilt that is keeping you in a cycle of self-blame that then is leading to acts of self-hate. So the last one is chronic chronic shame, guilt and anxiety. Um, Gosh, lots to say. So obviously we know that blame and guilt, those two words are quite synonymous, but um, I was quite surprised to read when I was doing a little research for this episode that anxiety often stems from unresolved blame, self-blame. And we know how crippling anxiety can be. I spoke about it two episodes ago. So there's a whole hour on anxiety and how um, that might show up. But Anxiety makes you do things from an irrational standpoint. It makes you do things that are spontaneous. It can make you do things that are unhelpful, that you know deep down aren't going to be in the long term beneficial, but in the short gain, they kind of tick a box or fulfill something or keep someone happy. And usually anxiety, if it's involving other people, makes you put the other people first or try and accommodate for the other people before you which is obviously not loving yourself equally it's putting someone else's needs before your own if we have shame guilt anxiety we are then going to act in a way informed by that shame guilt and anxiety off the top of my head I'm just going to now try and think of a scenario and kind of play it out um let's go with okay so I have arrived at a dinner party and I have cooked I'm very bad cook so I've cooked a meal and someone has got food poisoning 
from my cooking. If I love myself, which I do, I would show up at the next dinner party and I would have purchased something to be on the safe side. I would definitely check in and um, either meet this person I gave food poisoning to or I would um, write them a letter or I'd give them a call, check in, hope they're okay. I would apologise. I would own my mistake. That's really important. We're going to come back to that. I would own my mistake and then I would move on because, um, okay, that person had a really awful five days of feeling gross and whatever, blah, 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 blah. But being a human being is hard and we all make mistakes. And if if we do something, unless we're psychotic, usually it's not intentionally from a place of um, trying to cause disruption or be evil. I love the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. So if you are hurting, the chances are you're going to pass that hurt on to someone else. If you own that hurt and acknowledge that you're hurting, it doesn't um, justify your actions, but it does go a long way to um, making that apology authentic and well-received. So back to the analogy. I've given someone food poisoning from a position of self-love. I've done everything I can to show remorse, apologise. I'm now going to arrive at the next dinner party, my usual friendly, happy self. We can laugh about it. I would take a a shop-cooked meal rather than a home-cooked meal, and we'd all move on. Happy days. If I was um, self-loathing and a position of hate, I might desperately want to go and meet my friends, but deprive myself of going. I would feel so much shame, guilt, and anxiety that I might block my friend on um, socials, I might refuse to talk to them because I would feel guilty or I'd worried about how they're going to respond. I might, um, this is so drastic, but some people might um, stop eating themselves. They might feel like they need to now punish themselves for causing harm to somebody else. Um, Any future uh, social situations, I might decline, I might not go. So even though I need friends and I, I deserve to have friends, I would feel so much guilt and anxiety around that social situation happening again or worried about what people think of me that I would um, never go and see these friends again. That would cause immense confusion and anger on behalf of my friends. Word would get round and then people wouldn't, um, you know, they'd be hearsay, they'd be talking behind my back. People would go, oh, did you hear what lives? She's blocked this friend, blah, blah, blah. All because I overreacted to um, feeling of something that I've done wrong. Now, that's a huge overreaction. Obviously, it sounds ridiculous and it probably wouldn't go that far. But that would have all stemmed from self-blame and unresolved trauma. The problem is not the food poisoning episode. The problem would have been something in the past for that person or I think I put myself in this story. So the something in the past for me where something would have happened that I took responsibility and blame for and um, it led to all these dramatic overreactions. So you can see how every day, every, um, every week, every all these occasions in life occur where there's possibility 
to overreact in a way that is informed by self-blame and unresolved trauma that can then lead to all these dramatic, catastrophic, ridiculous, over-the-top outcomes. And it sounds very convoluted and very confusing, and I'm sure I've probably lost a few of you, but I do believe that trauma that is unresolved, usually from childhood, leads to self-blame. Self-blame shows up in six different ways. That carries on into our adolescence and our adult life and informs how we then react to everyday situations in life. Life shows up with challenges. Life shows up with social anxieties, with difficulties, with drama, with trauma. But if we are informed by an unresolved trauma response, guided and led by self-blame, which essentially is the same as self-hate, then life is going to be very hard and very um, turbulent and very dramatic and very intense. So I hope from, we're 20 minutes in now um, of me just talking at you, (laughs) I hope that the message is that we need to address trauma. We need to address times when as a child we have put ourselves in the center of that trauma and we have owned that and blamed ourselves and then we need to change our response and it sounds complicated but I'm now going to share my personal story of how I overcame anorexia in a very very simple way and that was do I want to love myself or do I want to hate myself is my response to this action, because every day is, is just thousands of actions that we all have to undertake, am I acting in a way that is informed by love towards myself or hate towards myself? And it was that simple. So why I decided to overcome anorexia, that kind of spark in me that um, made me live and fight for my life, I'm not quite sure yet. I still haven't worked out where that came from potentially I just got to a point of I'm so exhausted beating myself up I am so done with trying to kill myself it was about a decade of anguish and pain and um, starvation and self-harm and maybe I just I literally reached the tether I'm not quite sure why I decided to start making loving choices that's not really the answer, the answer I'm going to get today, but the how was simply that. Seemingly overnight, I went from, I'm going to punish myself and make sure I do X amount of these exercise and I'm going to eat this amount of this and da da da, to, is that really an act of love or is that an act of hate? Well, when I'm emaciated and I'm expecting myself to do X amount of let's say, I don't know, push-ups or sit-ups, that's not an act of love. Because in that state, in that physical state, doing sit-ups is not an act of love. So I'm now going to choose what is the act of love in this situation. Okay, rest. Not doing that. When I'm emaciated and I don't have enough nutrients, is skipping a meal an act of love? No. 
skipping a meal as an act of hate. Okay, what do I need to do to love myself? And it was constantly having to remind myself that no, Olivia, you've decided. I still don't know why, but I've decided that I'm going to now love myself and not hate myself. So therefore, what is the appropriate the appropriate action to signify and symbolise an act of love? Um, it might be really frustrating for um, anyone that's listening. The million, I believe it's like million dollar question is why did I start loving myself? And I get frustrated because I find it fascinating. I'm not sure why I I could go from loving myself to hating myself to loving myself again. But I do believe, going back to the story of the kids in the different schools, that it came from external validation, which you might think is a bit negative and a bit... Um, Uh, toxic maybe to need external validation but we all need to feel loved we all need to feel valued we all need to feel like there is a point to our existence and I suspect there was an element of people around me validating and fighting on my behalf rooting for me and giving me reason to get up and um, you know live a day and try a meal and sit down a bit. Um, So if there is someone in your life that is struggling, who's clearly driven by self-hate, whether they're destructive in their behaviours or their negative mindset or their... um, Yeah, we all know people who are fundamentally more self-hating than they are self-loving. Instead of focusing on the behaviours, instead of focusing on the problem, focus on the person and remind them why they're special, and remind them why that they um, add value to your life, remind them why we need them in the world, because everyone has something to offer. And I think a little bit like the phrase, I'm going to butcher this, but it's something like where your focus goes, your energy flows, and where your energy flows, it grows. So whatever we focus on essentially grows. So when I was in recovery and people constantly spoke about my weight, my numbers, my measurements, um, my rest periods, my stats, my blood results, the focus was on the physical um, repercussions of anorexia. It wasn't until people started focusing on me as a person and saying, how you live? What are you um, wanting to do today? What have you drawn today? Show us how you... I mean, it's hard when you're in hospital. There's not a huge amount to do, but I had exams to do. Take it away from the behaviour and connect with the person because the person is the part that needs the love. The behaviour does not need the love. The behaviour will resolve itself when the person starts choosing acts of self-love. My behaviours towards... Um, starving myself over exercising, they fell off the bandwagon. They just sort of disappeared when I was informed by self-love because I didn't need those anymore. Those were acts of self-hate. So if there's anyone in your family, your friendship group, your social life, just your life that you feel really worried about because you can see that they're driven by self-hate, connect with them. I know it's it's so hard to do because all we want to do is hide the drugs or tip the alcohol down the sink or, you know, um, 
keep them in their room, lock them in their room at night if they're kids and they're running out. But try not to focus on the behaviour, focus on the person. And lastly, in this episode, I really want to touch on our influence on other people and a responsibility that we have. So I spoke about this at a school actually this week, that I believe there's either energy givers or energy takers. We all know energy givers, people that just walk into a room, brighten it up. Um, I'm not talking about energy as in physical energy. I'm talking about people that just make you feel full up and bright and happy and positive. And then we all know energy takers, energy takers who just drain you of energy. You don't want to be around them. They suck the life out of the room. They're really negative. I believe at around teenage age or early 20s, we are emotionally aware enough and we are, uh, our psyche is developed enough that we should take responsibility for the energy that we put out into the world. Um, tricky one, because I'm not saying that if you're feeling really Debbie Downer and negative that you need to hide yourself away, but just have it in the back of your mind. In this situation, am I adding positive energy? Am I adding love into the room? Or am I taking away energy and am I maybe adding more hate into the room. Every time I say hate, I feel like it's so strong and so like excessive to use that word, but kind of is, I believe, the opposite of of love. Um so yes, energy givers or energy takers, we need to have responsibility over our energy and our sense of self. This is going to be controversial. I've deliberately left it till the end. And I'm, I'm even, you can think, you can see I'm thinking about whether I should say it, but I do believe that parents have a huge responsibility around how they parent and their mental state and how that rubs off on kids. I've got personal experience of this and I find it very challenging because I can see that if you are an adult with unresolved trauma and you are naturally more leaning towards self-hate so you do things to yourself that bring yourself down you are a victim you are negative in your mindset you've got toxic energy that will undoubtedly rub off on your children so you have a responsibility to your children not to fulfill that same trauma cycle it is it's actually really bloody selfish to um, not work on your own trauma and not work on your own self-hate when you are in the care of children because they are little sponges, they're little mirrors. And um, Freud says this and many other um, psychologists and human behaviour specialists, it's fact that children will try and mirror, especially their mother, They'll try and mirror on a subconscious level, level. They will mirror their mother's energy as a way to save their mother from their own pain. So the child takes on the responsibility on a subconscious level. So this is all happening with complete unawareness. They will match and mirror a mother's energy to save a mother from their own pain. I've said it twice because it is so powerful. And when you have that awareness, it's scary. And you'll probably notice it now. If you're really upset, um, 
And it's important to share and show energy and show emotion. It's very important to do that. But it is vital that you don't do it in a way that the child feels that they are to blame for it and responsible for it. But if you're upset, guaranteed the child will, if they have any level of emotional intelligence, will match how you're feeling. Even a baby, if you start crying, a baby usually will um, stop giggling and, and, and match and mirror your energy. So it's vitally important that we as adults take that responsibility to work on our own emotional um, state and our own sense of self-love. Gifting your self-love is only going to gift others around you more love. Gifting yourself hate, well it's not gifting, but hating yourself guaranteed is going to have a negative impact on everyone else around you and pass on um, more hate. We all know that you are the product of the five people you spend most time with. So if um, you are a family of five, you have a partner and three children, and you hate yourself, your children will also be feeling that. If you love yourself, then your children will also be feeling that. So it is a choice. It is a responsibility being a parent and it is a possibility as well. So how, you ask? Well, you're giving us all this hard home truths, Libby. How do we make it happen? Going back to the simple formula of any time you're about to embark on something, we can't do this with every action of every day. We do thousands of actions in a day. But just check in. And even if you make a little list, And you go, okay, how are the five ways I'm consciously, deliberately, intentionally going to give myself five uh, five ways of self-love? How am I going to do that today? You write a list whilst you're having your breakfast. You can do this with the kids as well. And you all pick your five. And then you just tick off the list throughout the day. Initially, that might need to happen. Eventually, it will become habitual. So right now, I'm at a stage in life where I don't have to consciously think oh which would be the act of love here versus hate I just live a life of self-love I just gift myself all the things that I know I enjoy in life so I go to the beach I eat yummy foods I hang out with friends I give myself quiet I have the cat I'm um, listening to music or I'm having silence or I'm taking myself into nature or I'm I'm giving myself a massage or I'm doing myself a little spa treatment or whatever it is I now live completely in a place of self-love it's not to say that you don't need to have responsibility we all need to do things we don't want to do but I know if someone or something is adding uh, not hate but if they're negatively going to impact my life I'm not going to do it. I don't need to engage. I don't need to invite that into my life. If I'm in a negative relationship or somebody is bringing toxic energy or someone is adding hate towards me, fine. Goodbye. That's that's on you. I don't want to own that. I don't want to take that on. So might come across as ruthless, but then those sort of people I don't want in my life anyway. And if there's situations, there's a reason why I have never, at the age of 35, had a nine to five job, because I would hate it. I would hate to have to sit in a room, be someone else's, um, be bossed by someone else, but just the mundanity, the boredom, the monotony, why would I do it? Doesn't make sense. I'd rather have a love, a life of love, of 
what I do and passion and, and freedom. So, mm, tricky, 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 because if you do run with this and if you do feel inspired by this conversation, and I hope you can feel the passion in my voice, there will be some huge, huge life changes. When you start choosing love and putting yourself equal to others, not before others, but equal to others, um, it might upset some people. People will notice and feel and sense the change in you. And it might be that you have to let those people go. And that's absolutely fine because people are meant to come and go in your life. But if you're intentionally choosing love for yourself and your, say, social group doesn't align with those actions, you'll find a new social group. Let people go, make space, other people will come in. I think that's it, guys. I know I've gone all over the shop and I think I've um, I've probably said that in a really confusing way. But the first thing, as always, is self-awareness. Um, first of all, ask yourself the question. And it's obviously not 100% all the time, one or the other, but as a general balance, do you live your life directed by self-love or do you live your life directed by self-hate? Whichever one you practice, whichever one is the majority, guaranteed will grow. So to get more self-love, you must love yourself more. And love is an action. So you must do more things towards yourself and for yourself that um, inhabit self-love Unfortunately, the same is true of the opposite. If you're, if you're doing more things of self-hate, you will invite and grow self-hate into your life. I think that's a good place to leave it. All right, guys, take care and please, please love yourselves.